Well, this morning, we'll be continuing in our Advent series. Uh, we have this Sunday and next Sunday uh, that, that we'll, we'll be able to, to finish up our, our, our four uh, sermon series. And, and as we began that, Pastor Jake preached to us on the promise needed. Last Sunday, Pastor Josh Womble preached to us on the promise made. And today we'll be taking a look at the promise that was anticipated. And the promise that we're talking about, obviously, is the message of the coming of the Messiah, the promised one, Jesus Christ. In his sermon last Sunday, Josh, Josh did an excellent job preaching from Genesis 3.15. And during his sermon, he, he mentioned that Genesis 3.15 is often referred to as the first gospel or the first promise of God in which he promises to do something about the fall of man. He promises that there will be enmity between the serpent or Satan and the seed of the woman. And that seed we know to be Jesus Christ. So I want us to pick up sort of at the end of where Josh was at in, in Genesis 3.15. And we're going to move forward and we're going to look through scripture and see how that promise of the seed was anticipated through time and see how God would bring about the coming of that seed into our world. As we think about a promise being anticipated, we obviously have had some events this weekend that are taking place right here in this church about some promises that are gonna be made between two people. And I know that they're anticipating those vows being exchanged as we had a, had a wedding yesterday and a, and a wedding today. Uh, we know that that promise is anticipated. It, it's probably not, not hard for us to imagine that there's a lot of anticipation on the end of coronavirus. There's a lot of anticipation on the ability for us to be able to return to some sort of normalcy. And as we talk about anticipating as we talk about looking forward to something, we understand that what it means to anticipate is for us to expect, hope, long for a future event. We're excitedly waiting for something. And there's another event that will be taking place in just a mere 12 days. And if you ask my son, Daniel, he'll tell you it's Christmas. We are excitedly anticipating the promised one of Jesus Christ to be celebrated in our house almost every day since our Christmas tree went up in the house. There have been questions about, hey, first thing in the morning, hey, is, is it Christmas? Is today Christmas? Can I open a gift yet? Is it, is it Jesus' birthday? No, we're not there yet. We're, we're working towards that. We're anticipating that, right? But today is not the day yet. He knows though, he knows the day is coming. He's seen the signs. There's lights on the house. The Christmas tree is up. There's, there's some gifts under there. He's excited about it. He knows the anticipation is building. And we see that in scripture from the time of Genesis 3.15 that, that, that Womble preached about last Sunday. We see that anticipation growing. It is progressing. And what I want us to, to, to see today as, as we look at the scripture is that God is working to fulfill his promise he is continuing to give us signs, encouragement to build the anticipation of the coming of Messiah. 
So our primary scripture that we'll be looking at this morning is in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. So I'll give you a second to turn there, and I'll ask you to, to follow along with me as I read. Scripture says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So as we look at this promised day, this, this promise anticipated of the Christ, I want us to see three things this morning. First, that the day is coming. Second, that the day has come. And finally, that there will be a day. So first, the day is coming. As I mentioned, moving from Genesis 3.15, we have many, many verses and scriptures that speak to us about Messiah and about Messiah coming. Biblical scholar J. Barton Payne has suggested that there may be as many as 574 verses in the Old Testament alone that are associated with the coming of the Messiah, providing details alluding to what Messiah will do. And there's broad agreement among biblical scholars that Jesus actually fulfilled at least 300 prophecies during the time that he was here on earth. And we certainly know that there are more yet to be fulfilled as we anxiously anticipate and wait the return of our Lord and Savior. I'll go through just a few of these beginning with Genesis 3.15, and we see there the promise that the seed or the offspring of the woman would come and would bruise or crush the head of the serpent, Satan. That seed, as we understand and as we know, is Jesus. In Genesis 12.3, we're given some additional details that the seed would come from the line of Abraham and that through him all nations would be blessed. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 tells us that he will be a prophet like Moses to whom God said that we were to listen. 2 Samuel seven sixteen, he would have a throne, a kingdom, a dynasty, starting with King David and lasting forever. Now some more specific ones. These are ones that we often associate directly with Christmas. That he would be born in Bethlehem of Judah as we're told in Micah 5.2, that he would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7.14. His name is going to be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and that he would possess an everlasting kingdom, as our scripture says this morning from Isaiah. These prophecies about the coming of the Messiah are a clear and consistent revelation and they serve as reminders from God that God will fulfill his promise. They show us that the perfect plan of God is being fulfilled over the course of time and through the lives of sinful people. If you read 
in Old Testament, any of the Old Testament. Read in Judges. Read, read about the lives of the Israelites as they left Egypt. Jake preached on that a couple weeks ago about their grumbling and their complaining. We know that people are sinful. There's not one of us who is without sin. But it is through the lives of these sinful people, it is through their mistakes, their successes, that God has worked his will and his way to bring about the anticipated Savior. The prophecies further show us that God's plan would not be thwarted, neither by Satan nor the sinfulness of man, and that each of the promises that he has made to us is intertwined and interrelated. A few weeks ago, my family had the opportunity to go to uh, an art museum here in Louisville. We went to the Speed Art Museum, and in one of the rooms, there hangs a tapestry that is probably in the range of 20 to 25 foot across. And standing there looking at that tapestry, you think, how long would that have taken to make if you were weaving? I do well to fix the holes in socks, right? But this tapestry was woven and depicts a beautiful picture. This is a similar idea that I want you to think about when God is weaving together these promises that are intertwined and interrelated. They're woven together like hundreds and thousands of threads that form a beautiful tapestry, a tapestry that can only truly begin to be comprehended and understood when the work is finished and it is able to be observed. We have the benefit of seeing the work of the Christ child, the Messiah. We have the benefit to look back in scripture and see all of these promises, all of these prophecies woven together to give us the completed picture of Christ at Christmas. I think sometimes we, we do a disservice of not understanding just how much work, how much forethought, how much planning our God had in working with sinful people to bring about everything exactly as he planned, exactly on time, exactly as he said, in the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. If we miss that, we miss the greatness of what God has done. We're only understanding a part, a small part of what Christ has done. We're seeing the finished product in the birth of Jesus, and certainly we are to celebrate that. Certainly we, we love talking about that, but we need to realize that there is 4,000 years of prophecy from the point of, of Adam to the point we get to Jesus' birth. Approximately 4,000 years of God working in and through the lives of people, providing revelation through the prophets. And each time, each additional piece of information that he is providing through the prophets weaves together perfectly. So as we read about those sinful situations that occur to these individuals, to the, to the nation of Israel as a whole, we see them crying out for help at times. We see them thinking that they're smarter, that they know better. We see their sinfulness, but we also see God's faithfulness. We could go on and talk about these other 500 or so prophecies, but I'm sure that you guys probably wanna go home at some point today. So we will save some of those and we'll fast forward a bit now and we'll talk about 
the day coming. So the day coming is what we just discussed, and the day has come now as we look forward to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 37. So as we arrive in, in Luke, and as we flip forward and we, we skip those prophecies, the, the, some of the remaining prophecies that we've discussed, we're, we've not heard from Christ, not, not heard from, from God, excuse me, not heard from God since the prophet Malachi provided the last word from the Lord some 400 years prior. And the day has now finally come for God to break his silence. Only this time, his word would come through the prophet and it would come in flesh and blood. So let's read Luke 1, 26 through 37. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. When Liz and I were first married, and we've been married for, for 20 years this year, we used to talk a lot about family, talk a lot about having kids, talk a lot about what that would what that would be like, how things would change, talk about, you know, what, what we might name them. Neither of us knew that, uh, that, that God has a, a wonderful sense of humor and that for the, the next 14 years, he would just kind of keep sending kids. And, um, you know, God blessed us with four of our own, and then we've, we have fostered and adopted two. And the interesting thing, though, about these conversations as we would talk about and we would, we would think about things that were in the future is that they're not time-bound, right? We're talking about things that are in the future, things that we're anticipating, things that we're looking forward to or things that we're longing for. And I want us to notice that as Mary is given this message from the angel, it, it changes from a day that is coming to a day that has come, the day of Messiah has come. It is now a reality because Christ is there. In just nine months, he will, he will physically arrive and, and will be there. Now, we, we understand that for Mary to, to have the baby within her, that the Messiah is already there because we believe that his, his arrival had taken place from the moment that the Holy Spirit conceived Christ in her womb. So when Mary receives the word, the day has finally come. 
and it is now just nine months before the, the Christ child will be out and physically in the world. His arrival is imminent. And as we read the passage, I hope that, that we notice also as, as we read this passage, and a lot of times we'll read this passage and, 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 and teaching our children and talking to our children at home uh, about the Christmas story. We've actually have read this and have discussed this in, in our house this year. And there's so much though, if we don't understand all of the prophecies from the days of anticipation, the days of the Lord coming, that we miss the fact that the location of Galilee and Nazareth. We miss the fact that those are fulfillments of prophecy. The fact that Mary was a virgin, that Jesus would be from the house and lineage of David, that he would be called the son of the most high, the son of God, that he would have the throne of his father David, that he would have an everlasting kingdom, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. All of these things are fulfillments of prophecy about the Christ child. And for us to, to be able to look back and have God's word show us where God has said these things will occur. These things are going to happen. And then he brings them to fruition exactly as he said is amazing in the fact that it helps us know that God fulfills his promises. God can be trusted. God keeps his word. And as we read the Christmas story, we should be praising God also for his patience and his faithfulness. We should praise him for his grace and his mercy that he has shown us. We should praise him for sending his only son and for doing so knowing that the world would ultimately despise and reject him and hang him on a cross to die. When Christmas day comes, don't lose sight of these things in your celebrating. Don't don't celebrate the gifts more than the giver. Remember who you're celebrating for. Remember what you're celebrating. We give gifts because the greatest gift known to mankind has already been given to us. And we should focus on that and then celebrate the things that we have that are temporal that we're going to be giving to our family. Not that I'm not going to enjoy giving gifts to Daniel finally since he's been talking about it for over a month, I will, I will love doing that. But the most important thing I can give him is the knowledge that God sent his son, Jesus Christ. That is the focus. That is the thing that we're anticipating. That is what we're looking forward to for all of those years in the past. That's all the prophecies we're pointing to. That's what Mary is now looking forward to. And that's what we should be focused on at Christmas. Exalting him and lifting him high. We'll now turn our, our attention to the fact that as Christ was prophesied in the past, as Christ came, that Christ lived and he ministered and he taught. And as he did so, lives were changed. And as he died on the cross, he broke the power of sin and death and darkness that reigned in our lives and the world. And having ascended to heaven, he secured our promise and our hope in forgiveness of sins and a hope of a home in heaven where we may be with God. And through our belief and through our faith in Jesus Christ, 
we have forgiveness of sins. And now we understand the anticipation of those who were waiting all those years, looking forward, thinking about the coming of the Messiah. Because all that time was spent waiting for him to come, and then once he was here, he spent such a brief time, a little over 30 years he spent here ministering on earth. And now we are in the same position of those in the Old Testament to a certain extent. Now we are the ones who are living in anticipation of the fulfillment of the promise. We're not waiting for Christ to come the first time. We're not waiting for a Christ child to be born. We're not waiting for him to die on the cross. We're waiting for him to return. And when he returns, he won't return as a baby in a manger. He'll return as a conquering king. That is our anticipation. That is our hope as believers is that when Christ returns, he will return in power. He will set all things right. And he will take us to be where he is also in heaven. This is the message of the gospel. This is the hope of the gospel that we have in Christmas. And this is the anticipation that we now turn to knowing that there will be a day. So we certainly can see the parallels. I hope you see the parallels between those who were waiting expectantly for the anticipation of the day coming of Christ, not knowing we are there today. We don't know the day or time when Christ will come, but we wait expectantly for it. The prophet Malachi, in his writing at the end of his book of Malachi, before there's that period of silence, he called on the people to read and study the word of God, to know the word of God and to be prepared. We have that same call upon our lives to read, study, and know the word of God and to be prepared for the coming, the second coming of our Lord and Savior. Romans 8, 18 through 25 talks about future glory. There are many scriptures that we could potentially look at that talk about there being a day or, or there coming a day, a time when God will reveal his glory to us. But in Romans 8, 18 through 25, the word says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Just as the world waited eagerly for the coming of Christ, just as 
Mary waited for the arrival of the Christ child. Our world waits today with groanings, with the pains of childbirth. We wait. We wait because we know whom we hope in. We know who has made the promise that he will return. We know who has made the down payment of our salvation, who has secured salvation for us. And we wait for him to return in patience. So as Christians, we live in this anticipation that there will be a day that Christ will return. And we know that it is not just we who wait, that is, that is all creation, that is marred by sin. It waits longingly to be set free from the bondage and corruption that sin brought. We long for that day when Christ returns. And this longing has been something that the world has been struggling with since Genesis 3, 15. But Christ has won the battle. Christ has defeated death. So we don't wait as those who might not have hope or those who are waiting to see what will happen. For we have additional prophecy in God's word. We have additional teachings about how things will end. And we know that Christ will prevail. We know that Christ will conquer. We know that he will set all things right. We know that he will return in power and in glory. Many times I think, as we, as we look at, at these things, we, we, we kind of need to be able to see large overarching themes that kind of tie all of these things together. And I hope this morning, as we looked at just a few prophecies from the Old Testament, I hope that you've seen a couple things. I hope that you've seen that, that first of all, that God is the one who is working to bring all of these things about. And God has told us in pieces and parts in some places in the Old Testament how he is going to do that. But he has been faithful in revealing these things to us. He has been faithful in bringing these things about. And from the very beginning, when the world was created by the word of God, he has used that word and presented that word to us in the form of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the power, the word of God. He has made him known to us throughout scripture. Jesus Christ is the common thread that ties all of it together. And as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, I, I, I want us to think about how amazing the love of God is, how, how patient, how merciful, how gracious God is in bringing Jesus Christ. I also want us to see that there is an element of eternity as God is eternal. In the first two scriptures we read that the discussion about the, the kingdom and the throne of Christ would be forever. That is a great promise for believers. For we know it's not a temporary thing. We know it's not just for now. The reign of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is an eternal reign. And that is the promise that we have to be with him in heaven for eternity, where he will reign, where he will set all things right. There are many great songs 
as, we, as I begin to close here, there are many great, many great songs that we have that we sing at Christmas time. And one that I think captures this idea of anticipation, the, the waiting on the coming of Christ, is Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, which is written by Charles Wesley in 1745. And its words are as relevant today as they were when it was written. And I'd like to read these words to you now, and I want us to think about those who had anticipated the birth of Christ, how Mary anticipated the arrival of the Christ child, and how, in a similar manner, we now anticipate his triumphant return. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, and let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. And by thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Raise us to thy glorious throne. The anticipation of the Christ past and present as we look to him coming. May that be the thought that's on our hearts for Christmas. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your scripture, Lord, that, that tells us of his coming, that, that, that we can read and, and see where you have said these things would happen, Lord, and you brought them to fruition just as you have said. Lord God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We, we thank you for the eternal security that we have as we believe and put our faith and trust in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the debt, our sin debt, Lord, that he paid on the cross. We pray, Lord, that we would look expectantly and anticipate the return of Christ. Lord, we love you, we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.